G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. My name is Tanya Chapman and today I'll be talking about the worst side of carer stress. And before I continue, I should give a warning that this story contains disturbing content of violence and abuse, and if you would prefer not to listen to it, that is fine. In 2005, Grace Parks was 84 years old. Her husband had died 20 years earlier. They had had three children together, Marilyn, Russell and Philip. Marilyn died of leukemia in 1980. Grace suffered from hypertension, Paget's disease, Bell's palsy, glaucoma, osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. She had had a number of eye operations and had limited vision. In December 2004, she got a viral infection in her eye and was admitted to hospital. On discharge, she needed full-time care. Since 2002, Philip had been employed as a bus driver for the Spastic Centre at French's Forest. When Grace was discharged from hospital, he was on annual leave and was due to return to work on the 17th of January 2005. He stayed with Grace at her home at Collaroy Plateau, and helped her with medical tests and taking her medication. He also did the shopping, cooking, and took his mother to the doctor and the bank. Grace didn't want to go into a nursing home. She wanted to stay in her home. The family had a discussion and it was agreed that Philip would quit his job and become his mother's permanent full-time carer. Philip went to his mother's house on the 14th and 15th of January, but did not stay the night. On the 16th of January, Philip went to his mother's house in the morning, He helped her with her medical test, gave her her medication, and prepared morning tea and lunch. He left around 1.30pm and went back to his home. Grace told him not to hurry back because she was expecting a friend to visit. Her friend arrived around 3pm and was still there when Philip returned to the house at about 4.30. The friend left soon afterwards. Philip helped Grace with her medical test and prepared dinner for them. After dinner, Grace sat in the living room watching TV. On the 17th of January, Grace's friend Shirley Ann Barrett tried to call her twice, but the call wasn't being answered. Worried for Grace, Shirley Ann called Philip, who told her his mother was planning to be at home that day. Shirley Ann decided to check on Grace. When she got to Grace's house, she found the front door open. She found Grace dead, sitting in the living room with blood on her face, her nightdress and the lounge. Clothes and items were scattered around and the phone had been unplugged. Shirley Ann plugged in the phone and called Philip to let him know what had happened. She then called for the ambulance. Philip was interviewed by police that same day and again a couple of days later. Philip told them that he left his mother's house around 7pm on the 16th of January, leaving the front and back doors open. He went home and watched TV and the next morning he went to work at the Spastic Centre. He told them the same story again when they did a walkthrough of the house on the 13th of February. After the walkthrough on the 13th of February, the police officer in charge of the investigation says to Philip that they knew when and how she had been killed and that Philip was their key suspect. Philip tells them he won't admit anything yet, he needed time to speak to his children and get his affairs in order. A couple of days later, Philip went to the police station and confessed to killing his mother. Philip admitted that in the last three or four years he had thought about killing his mother. He said she drove him completely crazy, always talking about the same topics, 
her childhood, the death of her husband and her daughter. Philip said his mother treated him like a child and a servant and criticised him. It distressed him to leave his employment with the spastic centre and to know that he would have to look after his mother full time. On the morning of the 16th of January, he had the thought that this would be the day he killed his mother, and the thought didn't go away. When he first arrived at her house in the morning, he noticed a discarded piece of pipe in the garden, and thought of using that to make it look like an accident. In the afternoon he considered using his car jack or wheel brace, but was concerned about leaving evidence. After dinner, when his mother was watching TV, Philip put on a pair of disposable gloves to prevent leaving fingerprints. There were disposable gloves in the house that he used when he was putting in his mother's eye medication. He got the water pipe from the garden. He spent some time pacing the inside of the house before making his way to the living room. He struck his mother across the forehead. She put up her hands and he struck her another two times. He began ransacking the bedroom to make it look like there had been a robbery. He removed the money from his mother's purse. Philip could hear his mother saying, This is not supposed to happen this way. He realised that she knew who it was that had attacked her. She was wiping blood from her forehead with a tissue. Philip told police, I didn't want her to suffer at that point. So he struck her a number of times across the top of the head with all his might. He sat down for a few minutes. He could hear rattling noises from his mother's lungs. He left the house knowing that Grace was still alive but wouldn't be for much longer. He left the door partly ajar. Philip put the pipe and gloves into a plastic bag and threw them away in bushland near the spastic centre. The case doesn't say when Philip unplugged the phone or why. This is only my guess, but I feel like he unplugged the phone because he knew that his mother was still alive when he left the house, and he didn't want to risk her calling for help. Earlier I mentioned that Philip was on holidays due to return to work on the 17th of January. He killed his mother the night before and returned to work on the 17th of January as planned. Again, this is just a guess, but I feel like that was a deliberate choice. The family had agreed that Philip would quit his job to become Grace's full-time carer. They might have been expecting him to put in his resignation when he went to work on the 17th of January, but he didn't want to quit his job at all, so he killed his mother before he had to. That's just my interpretation of the facts. Philip had a history of drug use and criminal acts. He had committed a bank robbery in 1996 and a second one in 1997, both times armed with a rifle. He would use a Molotov cocktail in the robberies and disguise himself in women's clothing. He was caught shortly after his second robbery and sentenced to seven years in prison and was released after his non-parole period of three and a half years. When Philip was charged with murdering his mother, evidence was produced at trial of Philip's mental health problems and history of drug use to try to argue that he wasn't in full control of his actions when he killed his mother. The court found that at the time of the offence, Philip's capacity was not impaired to any significant extent by the long-term effects of drug use. In his interview with the doctor, Philip claimed that he heard voices commanding him to kill his mother. However, the court noted that he didn't mention hearing voices when he made his confession to the police a month after his crime. He only mentioned it to the doctor in preparation for his trial. Both the doctor and the court determined that Philip was not responding to auditory hallucinations when he killed his mother. The court found that Philip's mental disorder may have affected his capacity to control himself when he found out that he was facing a future as his mother's full-time carer, but it didn't impair his capacity to understand what he was doing. 
After all, there was evidence of planning in the way he prepared for the offence, in his consideration of weapon and putting on gloves, in the way he committed the offence by pausing to ransack the house to make it look like a robbery and unplugging the phone, and in the way he attempted to conceal the crime, by leaving the house unlocked and throwing away the murder weapon. So he understood that he was committing a crime and he took steps to try to get away with it. In determining the appropriate sentence, the court considered the following factors. Grace was 84 years old with serious health problems and dependent on Philip. Philip clearly had the intention to kill his mother. The killing was premeditated and there was some degree of planning. Philip took steps to conceal his responsibility for the crime. He pleaded guilty and confessed, however he didn't do it straight away. He only confessed after police told him that he was the principal suspect. The only contrition Philip showed was for the effect the crime would have on his family, rather than for his mother. Philip Parks was sentenced to 18 years in prison with a non-parole period of 13 years. The issue of carer's stress in no way exonerates Philip for his actions. He hadn't really even begun to care for his mother, and he had plenty of other options, including just refusing to be her carer. But Philip did kill his mother because he didn't want to become her carer. And so this brings to mind, to me at least, the heavy obligation put on carers, including the family expectations and social obligations that might make some people agree to act as carer for their ageing parent, even when they don't want to. This is a risky situation for all involved. The carer, who might be experiencing depression at the loss of their job and previous lifestyle, and anxiety and anger at their new responsibilities as carer, and the older person who has lost their independence and is reliant on others for care and who may not be getting adequate care from their reluctant carer. I don't have a solution for this kind of scenario, and I'm in no way seeking to excuse Philip's actions. Carer stress is just one of the things this case made me think about. That was the case of the Queen versus Philip Raymond Parks, and the citation is provided in the notes. If you have any thoughts on the case or recommendation of cases for me to cover, I'd love to hear them. You can email them to elderservice at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. That's elderservice, one word, at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. And that is all from me, signing off now. Mm-hmm.